The Florida Gators 2024 opponents have been announced and recruiting is well underway for that same cycle. We're going to talk about it here on this bonus episode of Locked On Gators. You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Joining me now for Lockdown Gators is Graham Hall with Swamp 24-7. And Graham, the time that we're recording this, the opponents just got released yesterday. So 2024 Florida Gator opponents have been announced. What are your just first impressions on the opponents? I think that Texas is one that immediately jumps off the page to me. A chance to go to Austin, Texas for the first time in 85 years since before World War II. I mean, that is something that most fans in Gainesville can't say that they've had a chance to do. So that absolutely jumps off the page for me. We got, I think, the buzz building before the day got started Wednesday when it came out that every team in the SEC was going to play either Texas or Oklahoma. And that was something that I had thought was a possibility, but I wasn't absolutely certain that they would go ahead with that. And to see that come to fruition was really exciting for me. Absolutely. Florida's schedule, uh, as I learned throughout the day who was going to be on it, and I actually posted on the board a little bit early what I had heard, the eight-game schedule, it became immediately clear to me that there is no reprieve on the horizon for the Gators. Anyone who thought that after this year's schedule, 2023, considered to be, if you go by ESPN's ranking of strength of schedule, the third hardest schedule in the country and the second hardest schedule in the SEC behind only Ole Miss, that you were hoping that, you know, crossing your fingers that the scheduling gods would cut you some slack in 2024 in what's going to be a very critical year for the Billy Napier uh, regime here in Gainesville. You were hoping that maybe you'd get a schedule that's kind of like Georgia's this year. That's not happening. The SEC is only getting more difficult. That's what moving to 16 team means. There's no Vanderbilt on Florida's schedule next year. You look at Ole Miss going to Mississippi State, playing Texas A&M, having to go to, like I said, Texas, Kentucky, LSU at home, Georgia. And then you factor in the non-conference opponents, Miami, UCF, Florida State. That's 11 Power 5 opponents on the schedule That is daunting. I I hate to say that this is a Florida team that could be staring down the barrel of a gun of another losing season in 2024, but that's how difficult that slate is. It is absolutely a possibility, and it's going to put increased focus on not only the recruiting, but the retention, the program building, and especially the transfer portal in this upcoming offseason. You've already seen Billy Napier come out and say that maybe we're going to save some of these spots for after the season when the pickings aren't as slim in the transfer portal. If you look at the schedule right now, that makes a ton of sense, Brandon. Yeah, um, it's it's super fun to be a Florida Gators fan looking at that, uh, at that 2024 schedule. I mean, especially when you just consider the quarterback position. Like, that's the first thing that pops to mind. It's going to be an incredibly difficult schedule. Then you've got maybe DJ Lagway, maybe Austin Simmons. Either way, you're not in an awesome spot because if it's Simmons then, and he does end up reclassifying all 
hypotheticals here, then you've got a second year QB starting. If it's DJ Lagway, you've got a true freshman starting. There, there's not a great situation when you look at here, but yeah, I mean, I'm just as you were going through it, I was like, man, I'm just getting increasingly pessimistic <laughs> about how this is looking right now. Because I mean, if you're a Florida Gator fan, how do you look at 2024 and get excited for it? I think you kind of have to pump your brakes a little bit right now. I mean, we're sitting here before really the middle of June is the middle of June. And we don't know what the current additions are going to look like, what nearly 40 additions to the roster from last year. And if you have seen how Billy Napier has identified talent, not even just last year at Florida, but throughout his career, I mean, bringing in Osiris Torrance when he was a, uh, what, a a three-star prospect, getting Montrell Johnson, a former two-star guy who is clearly, in my opinion, going to be more consequential to Florida's chances on offense than who is throwing the football, whether it's Graham Mertz or or Jack Miller. And and I understand that so much of the conversation right now is focused on the quarterback of the future, but when we haven't even seen how, who the starting quarterback of this year is, how they fare. And I got to remind people, Graham Mertz has another year of eligibility after this season. So this is just, I think we're getting a little bit ahead because we have not seen what this team is going to look like. If the defense improves, the interior of the defensive line, the secondary improves, and they're able to run the football for more than you know 1,800 yards this season, it's not really going to matter too much in my mind who the quarterback is because this offense could be dynamic with one of those two running backs back there. And we got to, I think, see how that plays out because that will, in my opinion, dominate the conversation and affect the trajectory of this team moving forward. If it's clear that no matter what Florida does, they need a five-star quarterback to go out there and throw for 300 yards a game in this league for this team to be successful, then that's what they're going to have to do. But we don't know that yet that they're going to need to necessarily do that, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you mentioned that you were kind of hearing teams coming out and that we, we knew that it was going to be either Oklahoma or Texas. Who do you think was more excited when they saw Florida at Texas, the fans or Prince Lee Uman Mielin? Because that dude was all day. He was tweeting about it. You know, yeah, he has a chance if he returns next year to go play Texas. I mean, in his the state where he became a heralded prospect, I absolutely understand why that is intriguing. And, you know, this is, a, I think, a good conversation starter because people say so often, well, if you're someone who's going to get drafted, why would you possibly return if you could get injured? You know, these are experiences that, like I said, come along sometimes once in a lifetime they, or they never occur. I don't think that Princely, when he was picking a college, thought that he'd have a chance to play against Texas if he went to Florida. When you saw it was scheduled back in, what, 2019 when he was considering schools, that, those games were scheduled for 2030 and 2031. I mean, we would have been in our 40s, right, looking at covering this team at that time. It never thought that it was a possibility. Now it's one year out for a guy like him. And if that's on his bucket list, I think it's something he seriously has to consider because you lose rivalry, college football, fan base experiences when you go to the next level, when NFL stadiums are half filled and it's so much of a business oriented mindset. I could totally understand why someone would want to go back and play in front of their home crowd. You know, the same goes for Chris McClellan, you know, a guy who, you know, is, is from that area, Oklahoma um, type guy, you know, grew up around Texas too. I, I don't know exactly what his family's uh, fandom is, 
but I, I could imagine that any player from that area would would be interested in that. You know, Florida had players from Texas before in in Avery Helm, and and so it's always interesting to, to me to see that this game is ever evolving, and and we can have new series created because, like I said, Florida and Texas had not played since 1940, uh, hadn't played in 85 years, which kind of baffles my mind how th- those two teams have been really at the forefront of college football for, for the past two decades, really. And it had some great coaches, Heisman Trophy winners, and they never even have got a bowl game to play each other again. I mean, it feels like Florida's played Michigan three, four times in the past seven years, and, and we couldn't have got one Florida-Texas matchup before now. We had to wait for conference realignment I'll tell you who is the most excited though Brandon though and I I hate to make it about business like I said but the networks are the most excited and the athletic directors at both Florida and Texas are the most excited because if you saw in that NCAA financial report that also happened to drop Wednesday morning Texas is the number two earning program second highest revenue in all of division one athletics among all public schools and the Gators are number eight. Both schools made combined more than $400 million in revenue in, in 2022. I mean, that is just absolutely insane. And if we continue on this trajectory where we're going to get the 12-game college playoff and we may go to nine games, it's only going to be more and more money going to those schools. So I know they're excited to, to have this matchup just as we all are. Yeah, I'd imagine those ADs are just like the uh, Donald Duck diving into the pool of gold right now. That, that's all they're seeing here. Today's bonus episode of Lockdown Gators is brought to you by Bird Dogs, the most comfortable shorts you or anyone you know will ever own. Yesterday, I went to play basketball. Yesterday, I went to the park and played football for a little bit. Yesterday, I went to the gym and lifted a little bit. Yesterday, I walked 10 miles. I did it all in my bird dogs, and I felt incredibly comfortable the entire time, and I looked good. I call them my hoochie daddy shorts because they, they got the six-inch inseam, so they're, they, they, yeah, they, they show skies out, thighs out. That's my point, and that's that's what I'm rolling with. That's bird dogs, the best shorts you'll ever wear. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on, and when you enter promo code locked on college, they'll throw in a free custom bird dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. We know that eventually the format is going to change because these opponents were just for 2024. Eventually we'll have permanent opponents. If it were up to you, who would you want the Florida Gators to eventually get matched up with? Well, it really depends what scheduling model they go to. If they go to that one to seven scheduling model, I'm going to be really, really torn. I, I think that the easy answer, if it's one to seven, is Georgia, right? If you had to pick between georgia or tennessee i would probably pick georgia just because of what that means to this region how much more likely you are to have these fantastic storylines of players growing up in georgia coming to florida leaving the state of florida and going to georgia as much as fans of florida hate to see that happen that is going to continue and i think that you need to have that game continue because it is one of the great games in college football it's up there with obviously the iron bowl it's it's loss would be compared to in my mind losing Texas and 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 Texas Tech you know that is an absolute you know games like that you you need to have games like that on your schedule and I would not like to see Florida Georgia not become an annual occurrence but really I would like to see a three six schedule model if we're being completely honest you know Florida was one of those teams that didn't punk out 
at the Destin meetings. They were one of the five who voted in favor of nine games. Once you get a couple more, I think, resounding individuals on board with that, when they see how intriguing the SEC is going to be, and when they, I think they see how difficult this gauntlet is going to be, I think that they will consider going to nine, but it's going to take a lot of sway in the next year. But the best thing is that we have this one-year scheduling format, and they're not locked in to anything. This could change over the next year, and by this time next year, you could be set up for a nine-game schedule, and you could be talking about a permanent opponents. But if you were to ask me what three opponents – I would like to see the Gators play every single year. I'm going to go ahead and say Georgia, Tennessee, and LSU. I know that there's an argument for Texas and Oklahoma being in there. Maybe my mind will change in the future. But right now, the LSU rivalry has continued to pick up steam. You now have the Napier connection as well. Recruiting between those two programs compete for a lot of recruits right now. I don't see that as much with Texas and Oklahoma when it comes to the Gators. So I factor that in and I would like to see those three teams as permanent opponents. If you do go to that three to six model. Yeah. Uh, don't worry. You picked the right trio. That, that is, that, that's the best, that, that's the best trio there. But you mentioned earlier when we were talking about 2024, that's like, we don't even know what we're going to see in 2023 yet. What are your most realistic expectations for the Florida Gators this year? Because I feel like there's either some fans that are like, oh, winning, winning 10 games. And there's other fans that are just like not even scoring a point, not winning a single game at this point. Well, the truth is always somewhere in between, right? So I I think that, unfortunately, I'm closer in the camp that thinks a five and seven finish is right now more likely than eight and four. But I absolutely, when I say that, I make sure to explain myself and say that I do 100% see a path to eight, maybe even nine wins if everything goes right. Like I said, if the defense takes, uh, you know, massive steps forward, if the scheme benefits this team like we think it will, if they're able to be a little bit more complex, and if the secondary improves from a defensive standpoint, they could be a lot better. And I think that we may have forgotten not to you know, cast shade on anyone, but I think that maybe we've forgotten a little bit that the defensive drop-off, it's, it's been a slow decline. And to see even huge steps forward with the talent that Florida has on its defense, I think would be really, really beneficial to this team's chances because simply put in a lot of games last season, they were either self-inflicted turnovers or they were in shootouts with really, really good offenses. And if you can avoid that, get some more takeaways, get off the field a little bit more, and run the football effectively and control the clock, which is something that this Florida coaching staff wants to do. They want to absolutely eat up time with a lead. And here's, I think, the biggest one that maybe we're missing when it comes to benefiting Florida's offense. That clock is going to keep running this season. If they can run the football and get a lead and avoid mistakes, they're going to win some football games. Luck is going to you know, be on their side at times more than it was last season. And you know, I hate to be one of those people that says they won six games and in three others, it came down to one final play, but, but that is this game. And if they can win some of those one, two play games, this is a team that can easily win eight games in my mind. I still need to see how a lot of it plays out. Uh, I do think right now that Graham Mertz, if I had to put a prediction on, I do think he will be the starting quarterback. And I think that this offense 
is going to be able to run the ball really effectively. And I do think the defense is going to be better. So I absolutely am more positive by the day that this team could win eight, nine games than I am, uh, than I was four or five months ago. Um, I think that is where I stand right now. But what I said earlier absolutely applies. The schedule is incredibly daunting. I mean, you look at who Florida has to play, you're going to have to rely on injuries, execution, everything. There is little margin for error in multiple facets this season. And Florida is going to have to make sure that they capitalize when they can or else they are going to have a, a repeat finish in my mind uh, from last season. Yeah. Um, ho- hopefully not. <laughs> so I'm, I'm saying hopefully not a repeat finish from last season, but there's one thing that is often talked about with this coaching staff right now, which is obviously recruiting because it's June and that's the focal point of everybody's uh, everybody's uh, just Florida Gators topics now. And one thing is that this coaching staff almost notoriously at this point has a bit of a, a slow burn break you down approach to recruiting and you either love it or you hate it. How do you feel about just that approach from Billy Napier and this coaching staff on the trail? I, I understand that mentality. Absolutely. I, I do think it may not be that clear cut, not that black and white in a sense. I, I think that there's a lot of factors in here. If you go back to every coach that has come in, to the University of Florida. And I think that this is something that fans can even agree with, absolutely. But every coach, you you replace the coach, but everyone has still said that there are, I think, a few more academic hurdles when it comes to getting players in. That's that's the first thing I have to preface this statement with. One, one of the ways you can capitalize on that, if the process for academics is a little bit slower, is you can take a little bit more time evaluating, right? And what this coaching staff has loved to do since they, even before they were here, is field level film. And what I mean by that is, is not just watching, um, you know, low level highlights, getting someone in, you know, watching them during a, a contact period for a workout. I'm talking about seeing how they work in between the lines, watching them in a practice setting from afar, what their motor is like, how they interact with coaches, how they are coached. This coaching staff really, I think, puts an emphasis on that. And that's not to come out here and defend them because it can lead to missing some prospects. But like everything we just said, the offseason and recruiting and transfer portal are going to be so critical moving forward for this coaching staff. They can't afford to go only by rankings. As pivotal as those are, of course, they can't afford to do that or just take a coach's word for it or go solely off workout footage. They want to take their time with a lot of these prospects. Not every single one, of course, and, and that's going to lead to them missing. And a lot of that has to do with some of the academic hurdles that go along with getting into a place like the University of Florida, getting credits to transfer, seeing if someone's going to academically qualify. That is harder to do at the University of Florida than it is at some of these other SEC schools. I'm not going to name anyone, of course, but that is just the reality of it here. And I know that that can be frustrating to fans certainly when you see players maybe make a decision before Florida knows that they can take someone's commitment and not necessarily have that be something that the coach can come out and say is the cause. But I think the people who follow Florida understand that this is a top five public university. And sometimes that is going to lead to a little bit slower of a recruitment process for 
getting players into this program. Maybe that's not the what people want to hear, but I don't really doubt the evaluation capabilities of anyone in Florida's building. Like what I said earlier, what Billy Napier has done throughout his coaching career is find diamonds in the rough consistently. I mean, maybe someone needs to make a, a prospect or nickname for him or something, because I mean, you go back to Osiris Torrance, you know, you know, Montreal, the list goes on in my mind, the additions that he made last year, getting Ricky Pearsall to come to Florida last year. I don't really doubt their evaluation process. Are they going to miss out on some guys? Absolutely. But the players that they've added, I, I think that you know, even this past off season, the guys who heard about Cam Jackson, Kayla Banks, you know, those are guys who are earning rave reviews already. And they haven't even, you know, played a snap for the Gators. Uh, I would not really put too much of an emphasis on the, how drawn out the process is. I would really more focus on how quality are the additions that they have made so far. And I think that should kind of make you rest a little bit easy. Yeah, uh, I've said pretty much since Napier got hired that I know someone who used to be on a staff with him. And they were like, look, like this guy is just a freak evaluator. Like he, he doesn't write like these, these two or three sentence scouting reports that a lot of other college coaches, write. He writes like full page reports on these players. So I'm like, okay, I, I, I trust it. He's done a good job so far, but before I let you go, Graham 24 seven earlier this week, put out an, a list of the top 100 uh, true freshmen that are going to contribute this year. Florida had four guys on it in Andy Jean, Eugene Wilson, the third Najee Harris, and um, Kelby Collins was the fourth one. Just how, how do you feel about that? Do you agree? Are there any names that you feel were left off there? I think if you made the list 200, you would have eight, nine Gators on there. So I guess that's a diplomatic answer to say that no one was necessarily snubbed on the list. There's so many impressive talents out there. And Florida is not the only school where freshmen are in a position to see the field. But if you were to ask me, do I think only four freshmen are going to play a you know, considerable role for Florida this season? I would say no. I think it's going to be seven, eight, nine, more than that. Uh, let's start with Najee Harris, though. Maybe this has kind of fallen um, by the wayside or, or been a little bit, you know, just overlooked, I guess you could say. But with Micah uh, Mazuka kind of missing the end of camp, I'm missing the end of camp and his status right now being a little bit unknown. I, I have heard that he's progressing still in the building. But if he is not able to go, you're trotting Najee Harris out there at left guard against the youths on August 31st. So that is one right there, a freshman who is going to have a chance at a position that is incredibly difficult to see the field at. He's going to have a shot right there to contribute. And, and then Andy Jean, I think that that's not really surprising too many people right now. Kelby Collins as well. Maybe people don't know how good Kelby Collins really can be a tough position. Again, defensive line to see the field, but the defensive changes that Florida has made, I think that he's going to have a chance to be a rotational guy who, who sees the field a good bit more, plays 30, 40 snaps for the Gators this season. Cameron James is another one who I think you could have made an argument that he could be on that list. Even TJ Searcy has an argument to be on that list um, as well. And I think one of the maybe the biggest overlooked guys, uh, Jakeem Jackson, right? If Florida's cornerback unit, wasn't one of the deeper ones in my mind of this season. Obviously you, you get Jason Marshall back um, and, and then you get Devin Moore back, who's going to be healthy by the time of fall camp. And then Jalen Kimber, someone who I think also flown under the radar a little bit is going to compete for one of those corner spots this season. That's three guys right there. Jaden Hill, 
has moved um, to star. And Jakeem Jackson, I think, is going to have a chance to contribute in that corner room uh, in a rotational role, especially knowing how much Corey Raymond likes to rotate at that position. So I think that that's a guy who should have been on that list. And then, you know, Aiden Mizell is another one. No disrespect to Eugene whatsoever. I think Eugene has dynamic capabilities, and I would not be shocked whatsoever if he's already in contention to get snaps. But I give a little bit of a nod to Aiden Mizell. It maybe was a little bit underreported, too. I keep saying that. But he had a really strong finish to spring, and he is the fastest guy on the team, period. When you combine his deep threat capabilities, he got behind the secondary multiple times in that orange and blue game. I know it didn't really pay off in the stat sheet, but you go back and watch that game. He showed the ability to get behind the defense. And just having a guy who can do that, I don't care if they catch the ball. Having someone who can do that and affect the defense's um, movement and and how they have to plan for a guy like that, you, you have to absolutely consider him having a large role. So at least seven, eight Gators, in my mind, had a chance to make that list. That's why making lists is so tough, Brandon. I, I have to do them all the time. And sometimes you, you hate the number. You have to whittle it down to because you know someone's going to get snubbed. Someone's going to get left off. And you don't mean it as any disrespect, but there's just so much great talent out there that, you know, it is. it makes it really tough to choose sometimes. And so I think that there are certainly eight, nine, possibly ten Gators that have an argument to be on that list because that's where this team is at. And that's how I – I think impressive some of these additions are that the Gators made this past offseason. Yeah, um, I, I think one of the bigger complaints that people have about this roster is like the lack of experience in some areas. And well, the only way to get that experience is by playing. So a lot of these replicate kids, it. Yeah, a lot, a lot of these kids are going to be ready to go and, and have to be ready to go. But I'm looking forward to a very young Florida Gators team and hopefully a very good Florida Gators team in the near future. Thank you so much, Graham. This was Graham Hall with Swamp 24-7. And I mean, I'm telling you, you're going to be back on Lockdown Gators at some point soon. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, man. Thanks again for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day every day. We are available daily and free wherever you listen to the podcast. We'll be back Monday, maybe Sunday if there's a commitment, but most likely Monday to talk more Florida Gators football for Lockdown Gators. I'm Brandon Olson. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find all my written work with Whole Nine Sports, Giants Country, NFL 33, and I will see you all Monday.